case, you gotta copy this. Yeah, go ahead. 11 months time. I'll be over in a minute. Time, temperature, and concentration. Read the work order. Safety glasses. You're not done with that yet? Hey, put on some gloves. Can you please just follow the process? Make sure you put your respirator away. The solvent rags go over the side of the trash can. Where's your wet film gauge? Make sure you're putting tags back on the parts. Did you milk check that? Put your tools away. Chase. Welcome to Kaiser Cast episode 15. Episode 15, episode 15. 15 is a great number. It's my old racing number. I'm here with Chloe and today so this is going to be me and her discussing a topic that I brought up a while back to her just how I feel like sometimes customers kind of back us into a corner or put us into a box and make our job really difficult. So, Chloe, I think, has a lot of questions for me today. What do we, is there anything to talk about in open segment, Chloe? Actually, yes. We had um, a really great comment happen on Facebook the other day that kind of leads perfectly, I think, into what you want to talk about. Um, and so to give some background, um, we posted a graphic on Facebook that was entitled, How to Drive Jace Crazy, a Customer's Guide. And on one side, there was a customer asking Jace, can you blast this part? And on the other side, we have Jace saying, no, the blast media will damage it. And then the customer responds, I don't think it will, please try. Um, which I think is a scenario that you encounter quite a bit and I think is kind of exactly the scenario you want to talk about today. Um, and our Facebook friend, Joel Zinnaker, who's also a customer of ours um, and is very, very funny, commented and he said, can you blast my tinfoil model of the International Space Station? Um, which was a joke, of course, and it made me laugh out loud because he really nailed the spirit of the graphic we shared. And that's exactly the kind of thing you deal with all the time. Um, and so I figured we would start by thanking Joel for his contribution, um, by telling him that we feel very seen by him and he really gets what we're trying to do here um, and hopefully share a laugh with all of you as well. Yeah, that's like absolutely true. Um, it's just typically what ends up happening is like, um, ever, a lot of people have weird different things that they want to get blasted and coded and they think that it's possible, but, um, it actually presents like certain particular projects that are maybe more fragile present real challenges for us. And then, so I, sometimes I don't even want to do them and I try to explain that to a customer, but then like the graphic says, they're like, well, can you just try? And like in the back of my mind, I know that we're going to end up um, ruining their parts more than likely, even if we try really hard and not do it. Um, and I thought of another infographic that we could make for this and post on social. It's like the different, I think the visual that people have in terms of like when we're blasting is kind of like, um, I guess if you were like watering your garden 
on like if you have one of those nozzles that like is adjustable like you can spin it around has a lot of different settings and uh like i feel like they they think we're on like mist where it's just like a light misty fog of water you know <laughs> obviously it's blast media for us but just a real light mist when it's hitting the parts but in reality you need to like put it on like jet where it's just like ko and everything in its path and that's that's what we have for coming out of the end of the blast nozzle and it doesn't really matter what media we use it doesn't really matter if it's in the blast cabinet or the blast booth it's just like that's the amount of volume and velocity that the blast media is coming out at so it's really hard to be careful like sometimes I mean, custom- I feel like the name blasting sort of gives it away, doesn't it? Yeah. Like when we say blasting, it means blasting. Like it's not. I know. It's not a light shower. Yeah. (laughs) That is true. I just, I don't know. I like people just, it's hard to stay. Like people want us like, well, just stay away from this or be careful around this. It's just, it's not that easy because, you know, it's like a fire hose it's like a firefighter with his his huge fire hose spraying water out. It's going everywhere. You know, it's really hard to direct and control to very precise areas. Obviously, we can direct it somewhat, but if you're wanting to get really close to an area but not blast it, it gets really difficult because it's basically impossible to protect something 100%. So... So obviously you're not being asked to blast uh, tinfoil models of the International Space Station necessarily, but what kinds of parts do you get asked um, that make you, you know, think no, or there's no way, or that's not going to work? Well, a lot of times it could be something that's like a really robust piece overall, but it's got bearings in it, like moving parts or like joints um, or like uh, splines or a lot of threads and there's like once it's done being blasted it's gonna get like reassembled upon like stuff where it's gonna fit into to certain splines and 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 thread into certain things and the blast profile that we get from our blast media is gonna ruin a lot of those surfaces um, and in certain cases we can protect those surfaces with masking but when they're relatively intricate parts it's hard to do and if there's like bearings inside something it really doesn't matter how hard you try to mask it off usually some the the media will work its way into there and just it may not ruin the bearing immediately but like if blast media works into a bearing and then the bearing gets used again eventually it's going to ruin it because there's blast media inside it um so how much time do you take to explain this to people when they ask you to do this kind of work? Or do you just say no and sort of move on? I usually don't get to explain much. I usually try to tell them like I don't... It's basically like the interaction I have is I tell them like I don't think this is going to be a good idea. There's really no good way for us to protect this. And then they just pretty much ignore what I say and just tell us to do it anyway. The problem with that is... Like, I know for a fact we're going to ruin it, and it will not be usable when we're done. And so then now, of course, they're going to be frustrated and upset when they come to pick it up and their piece is not usable. So then I'm put in a position to where, like, if I do what they want us to do, 
going to have to buy him a new piece, brand new piece because I know it won't work when it's done or don't do it. Cause if I, if we just, if they want to drop off something that can't be blasted and powder coated and I say that it can't be, and then they ask me to just go, Oh, well, please try. And then I, in my mind, I'm like, well, we're just going to set that off to the side. We're not going to do that piece when they come to pick up. Um, they're just as mad if we haven't touched it as if they are, if we've ruined it. So that's kind of what I so mean. So what do you do? Do you do it corner. and ruin it? Like, what do you do? It just depends on the situation. <laughs> if I think <laughs> depends on how, uh, polite or impolite the customer was when they dropped it off. If I want to ruin the part or not. <laughs> So when you say that you feel sometimes like customers back you into a corner, is this the kind of situation you're describing? Um, or are there other ways that you also feel backed into a corner? I just think in general, um, finishers or people, companies or individuals in the finishing industry, um, are, we kind of get backed into a corner just on a regular basis, just based on like what we do. Um, for the most part, we're, we're the last people in the line of the manufacturing process. And so, uh, timing, time constraints are always a huge problem. Um, and, and I guess basically when, when I feel like that we get backed into a corner is, um, let's say a customer calls and says like, I have a project that I want to get blasted and powder coated. Uh, it's not, and let's say this is like December 1st. Uh, let's say it's December 14th. So it's a couple weeks till Christmas, let's say. And they say like, um, I need this done before Christmas. Uh, it hasn't, I, I just gave the design to the welding company. They haven't started on it yet. They're not going to be able to start on it till the week of Christmas. So once they get it done, you can only have it for two days. And, um, I want this really special powder. Here's the product code. I don't really, I don't, I know that it's going to cost a lot, but I want you to order it in special. And I already know that it's make to order. And so if you don't order it today, you won't get it in time. Like customers telling me all this stuff. And then, uh, and then like there'll be some other stuff. And like, uh, there's a few surfaces on, the part that absolutely can't have any blasting and coating whatsoever, you know, and just yada, 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 a lot of extra constraints. So it makes it an, uh, an extremely difficult project um, that I haven't maybe, and this is the first time I'm seeing it. So then, um, and they want me to give them a quote, um, have to give it to them right there on the spot on the phone because they're not willing to wait. And, uh, so like hearing all these things and then you quote something, you're probably going to quote it higher. And then you get, you know, there's a disagreement on the phone about why it would, why, uh, I, I quoted it so high and all these things, you know, because they listed out all these pretty crazy constraints. Um, and so that's where I feel like we just, um, and it's not just Kaiser in general. I think it's just the finishing industry in general. We, we usually get a ton of constraints put on us and, um, and a lot of it has to do with timing and the part still has to look good and it still has to be done on time. And, um, it just makes it really challenging. 
Um, are there any other examples of being backed into a corner? Any other kind of customer scenarios? Okay, so like another way that we can be backed into a corner is, so let's set timing aside for a minute um, and not think about that because um, we can harp and dwell on that all day long. But uh, if we have, so let's say it's a steel part and um, they, it has to be blasted first and they want it pre-treated within a certain amount of time and then they specify um, a salt spray that's extremely high, like going to be hard to hit. Uh, it's going to be hard to get this no matter what we do, going to be hard to make sure that the corrosion protection is this good. And so let's say they specify iron phosphate. Um, they say that you can't use zirconium. They don't want you to use that only iron phosphate. And um, then you can only do one coat of powder and they're going to specify it's like three mils. And I might look at that and be like, and they're saying like, hey, that's what we want. Uh, you have to blast it, iron phosphate only, and then one coat, three mils, and it's going white. And we want really good long-term corrosion protection, and they specify that by giving us a lot of data and a lot of um, uh, notes on salt spray tests and everything like that. Um, extremely ch challenging to probably meet what they want when we're going to blast something and then we can only use iron phosphate, knowing that if we go over it with zirconium, we're going to like probably double our performance, and it's really not going to add that much cost. Also telling us that we can only put on one coat at three mils, and I'm thinking, okay, you want near white metal, and you specified that the blast profile has to be 2.0 mil, but now you can, you're telling me I can only put three mils of powder coating on, you're really splitting hairs to make sure that all the peaks of the blast profile are covered at that point. And so like, even if we do everything perfectly, we really could start to see corrosion way too soon. Um, and then be in trouble, right. In terms of like, they would bring it back to us and say, these 10,000 parts are rusting and, and it'd be like, well, we followed your spec, but even though like, that's what they want us to do. And, we feel like we can fall back on that. If the parts are still looking wrong and corroding or whatever, and we followed the spec, usually they won't accept that as an answer. <laughs> They'll just say, okay, but they still are failing. So what's your problem? You know, so, so that becomes really challenging where you can get backed into a corner on that. Um, uh, that, that one's a really tough one to deal with. Sometimes you can get people to understand. Typically, I'll try to do as many tests to try to show them that, like, hey, this is going to be challenging. You may want to think about changing the spec. Um, and usually that goes well if you do that. It's a lot better to, to try to, like, you know, even if it's on our dime to do, like, a test on, like, 20 pieces to try to prove that, like, hey, this we could have an issue here rather than get all 10,000 done and it'd be an absolute disaster that we have to, you know, uh, eat and take care of. So that would be a, that's a little bit different way of how you can get backed into a corner. Um, it's pretty, that'd be a very specific, and it's, it's stuff that we haven't talked about a lot before and we probably should do a whole theme on that, but that's where our experience I feel like comes into play to where we can kind of help 
uh, a large customer like that and say, well, based on our experience, I think if we did this and this, it actually really won't change my quote. And um, it's going to be like night and day better quality product. So in a perfect world, someone um, is having a part fabricated. They know they're going to want it coated, possibly blasted. What? How much notice do you want them to give you? How much time do you want with the part? If you had it your way, what would it look like? Um, to bl- if we're going to blast and powder coat something, it's it's really great to have it for a week. Anything less than that, it presents some challenges um, just because we have a lot of other stuff going on. Um, so if we can have it for a week, that allows us like a week from drop off to pickup, um, that allows us to get it into the schedule, get it blasted. And if we have some other things that aren't going perfect in our blasting production schedule, we have a little bit of leeway to when we can blast this new project. And then when it gets done from blasting, um, then we can move it over into powder coating, which I think one of the uh, misnomers about our process is that right after, let's say if someone dropped it off on a Monday morning and I and we knew it was coming, they think that, uh, and they plan like a month ahead, and they, plan, and they tell me they're going to drop it off at 8 a.m. Um, I put that on the schedule that it's going to be dropped off that day, but we're, we're not going to start on it that same day typically just because like, again, logistically, you know, if you're going to drop it off in the middle of the day, in the middle of production, that means when it gets to us, I've got to look at it at some point. I've got to make the work order because I I kind of need to have the parts in our hands before I can make the work order and tag it. And then, write it into the schedule and get it out to the stage it out on the shop floor. So it's, it creates a, a challenge if we're going to try to do that all on the same day that it's dropped off. And then once it's done blasting and it goes over to the powder coating shop, I think a lot of people think that we hang it immediately and just spray powder on it. Um, but that's not how it works because we just did a, a great podcast last week with Bill Townsend about pretreatment. And so that's a big portion of what we do in the powder coating shop. And so Typically, if we're going to be, if we want to spray powder on a part on Wednesday, let's say, um, because I know somebody, like the due date's Thursday, so we we want to spray it on Wednesday. Well, we're going to be pre-treating those parts on Tuesday and probably hanging those parts on Monday. And um, that might seem like a long, drawn-out process. It's not that it takes that long to hang it and pre-treat it and powder coat it that we have to have one day for each. It's just that we have so many parts and pieces flowing through our shop and there's a big cycle that's happening that like it needs to be hung Monday afternoon so it can cycle up to the wash bay by Tuesday mid morning to be pre-treated. And then as it continues to cycle through dry off and everything like that, then it possibly could be sprayed late Tuesday afternoon, more than likely early Wednesday morning. How often when you tell someone to drop it off on a certain day in order to have XYZ lead time, um, how often does it actually get dropped off on that day versus actually being late? And how does that impact the process? 
I'd say one out of ten times it arrives when they say it will. So 10, that is low. Ten percent of the time, and I would—that's wow. probably a generous estimate. It's probably more like five percent. So, are we talking about general public? Or are we talking about industrial customers, or both? Both. Yeah, and that again, so that contributes to the we get backed in a corner, because usually the first thing. So when that happens, then when it doesn't show up, then what? What am I going to do? I'm going to move it down the list. You know, it's going to go down the production schedule by a day, basically. And, uh, but then we still have, typically, a customer is still going to hold us to the due date. So if we go past the due date, then we're, we're at fault. So we, you know, we just get time crunched, essentially. You did a blog a while back, and this was before COVID, so your vision for it might have changed. But you were talking about project management, um, because I think that that's something that genuinely interests you. And you were talking about how you wish that project managers would schedule finishing services first and then kind of work backward through the manufacturing process um, while they were assembling their schedules. Can you talk a little bit more about that and what an ideal manufacturing world might look like for you? Yeah. So since we're in the finishing industry, I'm going to, you know, I, I'm going to think ours is the most important, I guess. And so if I was, if I was going to get something built myself, and knew when I wanted to have it done, then I would work backwards and say like, okay, I know I want to blast and powder coat this because it's going outside and I'm going to need X amount of time for that. So that means I need to have it fabricated by this time. And so I would work backwards from that standpoint. I feel like it were, you, when you do that, you could probably build in, hopefully build in some more time um, for people to have mistakes or or just be behind because that's just the reality of life. Um, so I would, you know, in terms of knowing what our schedule and stuff is like, like we're just extremely busy right now. So it's like four to six weeks. Um, if I hear about it to a project today, it's pretty unlikely that we're going to be able to get to it for like four to six weeks. So if I was getting my own part fabricated, I would know that like, First of all, I would just realistically understand that, okay, so just for myself to get it blasted and powder coated, I'm going to need four weeks. So that means that I can't, for sure, the part's not going to be done four weeks from now. But then I got to give the metal fabrication company probably four weeks, maybe be six. So depending on how busy they are. So then right there, you're at 10 weeks. And uh, obviously that's a long time if I need something, if I needed this particular part in a hurry. Um, so that presents problems. That's probably why people would don't want to schedule it that way because then it seems very prohibitive maybe to even start a project because you ask yourself like, how, well, how am I ever going to get this done when I need it if I do it that way? But I feel like if done right and, and planned out, um, knowing when the due date is and working backwards. As long as you can have like realistic conversations with every uh, person that's involved in the process, you may still be able to accomplish what you're trying to, to get done and make it feasible for everybody. It's extremely hard, harder now than when I wrote that blog um, because there it didn't, 
there, it used to be a pretty constant that like when you went to order material, you, material, it would be in stock and you could get it. And that was something that you could rely on quite a bit. And why was that the case? Typically because these material suppliers are really, really large companies um, in comparison to Kaiser and other manufacturing companies that we deal with in and around the Lincoln area. These suppliers are like mammoth companies, which typically you would think about a, a really large company as just having all the resources that they need to have everything available and plenty of um, uh, staffing and everything to make sure uh, supplies and stuff get shipped out. But uh, I, that's one of the biggest problems now is these really, really large companies, worldwide companies with, you know, thousands, tens of thousands of, of employees typically, uh, they're struggling to, for whatever reason, um, to keep their stuff in stock and ship it on time. And so it just, it's, it's been kind of a nightmare. It's messing everything up. Which we have empathy for because um, if you've been following us on social, you know that Kaiser's been trying to hire forever. Just like everybody else, we're we're hiring um, for for every position. So for on our painting side, that like uh, our commercial painting crews that go out to job sites and and do everything there is to do with painting on like new commercial construction, like hospitals and schools type of buildings, um, looking for people to help with that. Um, in our blasting and powder coating division, um, looking for help everywhere, really. It'd be nice to have another person that we could train how to blast. Um, so there would be somebody in addition to Stan that was available to blast when needed. And um, it'd be nice to have another person that was really skilled in, in spraying liquid paint um, on industrial type items, um, all metal stuff. And then our in our powder coating shop, um, we need a few more people that could hang and package and prep. Um, and then probably a couple of people that could spray and, and wash and pre-treat. So yeah, everywhere. How does our lead time right now compare to lead times, you know, this time last year or two years ago or three years ago? Mm, that's a good question. I feel like we used to hover between a two and four week lead time. Um, and I feel like that was pretty steadfast always. Maybe every once in a while it would tick up to like six weeks, but I wouldn't, we wouldn't, uh, we wouldn't give that lead time out for very long and then it would fall back into a four week. And right now I feel like we're probably closer to, uh, at minimum six weeks, um, at maximum maybe 10 weeks. Um, and again, it's, it's just because there, we got a lot of stuff to do. We kind of have a backlog of stuff. And uh, every day people call and, and want to drop off more things. It's, it's a very interesting phenomenon because it's like everybody's extremely busy, yet, no, yet nobody can get anything done. It's, it's, um, it's counterintuitive to me. We've recently been having to tell a lot of our general public customers that we're basically booked up through the end of the year. Um, and most of them have been very understanding. I think people understand that, you know, the world is is not what we're used to and there are supply chain issues and everything else. Um, but can you maybe 
explain what that means as far as what service they can expect from us going forward. Yeah, I hope that it's not for long. Um, it really frustrates me that I have to, that I'm putting constraints on um, people being able to drop off and maybe just like electing not to quote certain projects because I know that we can't get it done. Uh, the the more successful we are with our, our hiring efforts, which um, we've been learning a lot and um, we have been making some gains on that. So hopefully... You know, within after once we get into 2022, um, we can get back into that two to four week window. I think that's a good sweet spot for us. Um, that's where I want to be. I, I don't want to be less lead time than that, really, because um, when you're when we're full staffed, um, we need to have quite a bit of work sitting out in front of us um, because we don't want to run out of stuff to do uh, because then we have to send people home. And we don't want to do that. So that two to four week lead time is, is usually a good home for us. And it's kind of what our customers have become accustomed to and have are willing to work with. It's just recently that we got pushed way over that. So hopefully come, you know, January, um, then we'll, we'll be able to, you know, mid to end January, hopefully we can get back in two to four week. I mean, on the other hand, it's it's a great problem to have that we're we're this busy, right? So like, I'm it's frustrating because I feel like we're letting some people down um, and having to turn some people away that I don't don't want to turn away. But it's like either I can disappoint them by saying that we can't take their project on, or I can lie and say that we can and that we'll get it done, and then comes time when they need it to be picked up and I'm like oh yeah it's going to be three more weeks before we have it done and I feel like that's much worse and creates a, a really bad situation when you do it that way um, so I'm trying to be honest up front and you know I understand that people can't wait and they have to take it somewhere else and hopefully we'll be able to earn their business back in the future. I mean, I know, so you're a bit of a problem solver, and I think you're the first to say that you really like a challenge. Um, it seems to me, just based on what I've observed over the last year, that this this kind of challenge feels a little bit insurmountable. Is that fair to say? Yeah, it's, it's just ambiguous because um, you got a lot of variables that are out of your control, and it's there are more variables that are out of our control than what used to be. So I, I feel like that um, I pride myself on being able to get a lot done in a short period of time and out schedule my competition to where they don't think they can get something done um, because they're just looking at the size of the project. Um, but they're not necessarily sitting down and, and, houring it out and seeing like where could we slot this in and that's what i'm doing so like i know like when i'm saying that we're six weeks out i'm saying that i know that i have a full spring schedule for the next six weeks straight literally like i know that i cannot put in 30 more minutes of spring unless i you know start another shift or you know miraculously put up another building and another set of equipment like with the snap of my fingers then we could take on more 
If you had a genie in a lamp who gave you three wishes right now today, what would they be? For the business, to clarify. Um, well, if, if I could take our current team, everybody, like including Chloe and Abby in, in the office, um, and then everybody out on the shop floors, if I could take currently what we have and just double us, like clone us, um, I feel like if I if we could do that, then we could we could get back to a two to four week lead time um, very very quickly, and um, we wouldn't need more equipment. We wouldn't need another building. We probably would have to do some split shifts, uh, but probably I don't even think we would have to do like a day shift and night shift. I think if we if we just had double the amount of people with the exact same skill sets that our current people have, because it is very, very high skill set that everybody has. So if you could double that, it would be, we would be extremely agile. Okay. So, so that's I, one wish. That's one. I, I don't, two? I don't need the other two. Like literally that, <laughs> that's the one that I need. Then my next two would be for, for more work and more work. This has been interesting because I feel like on KaiserCast, we tend to either be very technical um, about a specific aspect of the finishing industry, or we get a little bit like upbeat and, you know, talking about racing or family dynamics and stuff like that. And I feel like this is the first time that we've actually like identified a bit of a downer of an issue and like dwelt on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I, I kind of like that. I mean, life is hard and we have to talk about it. And so I just figure, you know, since we're already sort of in this like blue processing area, um, are there any other complaints, gripes, difficulties, you know, hard truths that you want to talk about? Um, might as well just get it all off our chests at this point and put it all into one episode. I, nothing really comes to mind. I think that, uh, like I said, just getting backed into a corner is one of them and you know, everybody in their own area of business probably has those times when they feel like they get backed into a corner, when a customer is asking them to do more than they're capable of doing. And that's hard from a, especially a small business standpoint, because especially if you're like a type A personality like me and you, and you want to pull through for somebody, it's hard to, to tell somebody like, no, I can't do that. You know, it's, it's not fun to say that. Um, cause you don't want to miss out on their business now or in the future. Um, so I feel like that, that have, that sh a lot of people should be able to relate to that because it, it's, it's a tough spot to be in. Cause I don't, I don't want to tell you no, I don't want to say, no, we can't do this. You know, how, how do you think that makes me feel? It makes me feel like, you know, that I'm just giving up and basically saying like, we don't know how to do this for you. So you're going to have to take it somewhere else. So I, I don't like saying no. Um, and then I think that the biggest thing that I think we're like, why this maybe is more of a, the blues episode. It's like, we're I'm just worn out where everybody's worn out. I think everybody in the world is worn out. You know, we're just, we're trying to get by and continue to grind it out. And I feel like for the most part, people are healthy and protecting themselves the best they can as more variants and things come out. But it's just trying to, you know, 
just feels like every day there's just some weird setback that you didn't see coming and this is like well okay and so then you just deal with it and i think that's happening across everywhere because I, I just especially business to business i you can just hear it in people's voices when you're talking to them you know they just they're not as chipper as they usually are because they're just everybody's just worn out so maybe when we you know usually around the holidays people get re-energized and get to relax a little bit and uh get away from work Unless you're Jace Kazers, you, you go to work to relax. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I, I'm hopeful to like end this on a positive note. I'm hopeful that 2022 is going to bring some good things. I think that uh, um, I, I, I usually in my mind say, you know, if the micro, like the day to day, is in a bad spot um, and is frustrating and challenging then usually the macro aspect of the next, you know, this whole year coming up, usually that's good. So if the micro is shitty, I say the macro is usually good. And the shittier the micro is, the tougher the day-to-day action is, the better the long-term outlook. And the reason why I say that is usually if, if you're frustrated and you're worn out, that means you're busy. Um, that means that you're scrapping you're working really lean and you're doing all the things that you can to make sure that you stay alive. And usually that compounds into a lot of good success coming up. Um, if it's too good in the micro and, and you're feeling like the day to day is awesome and relaxing and, you know, you're not worn out and typically you're probably getting lazy. You're not working as hard as you could you're a little too high on your own supply and then the macro will end up showing you that you know it's not going to be quite as good because you weren't you weren't working as hard i guess um you're taking some things for granted so uh that's what's keeping me going right now is uh you know when when you're having to grind it out and when the day-to-day is frustrating the overall uh success meter is is gonna be good um, it just take you know, it takes a while, and then all of a sudden the 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 switch flips, and it's like um, everything starts going your way again, type of thing. So normally, then at this point, I would um, give a social media tip of the day, but I'm gonna pass it over to Jace because he has a social media tip of the day. So if you're like kind of hip and pay attention to new trends um obviously cryptocurrency has been a thing that's kind of been popping up but also uh nfts which i actually don't know what that stands for but um basically nft you can think of as like uh, non-fungible token there you go i should have known that chloe coming in in the clutch for me (laughs) so a non-fungible token but you can the best way to wrap your mind around it first of all just google it there's a lot of information um, but it's kind of like being able to, so think of like people buy art and hang it on their wall. They might buy like really, really expensive art and hang it on their wall. And NFT, one of the ways that they're used is like, it could be like a digital artwork or digital of something. Um, think of like a JPEG or a PDF and those are out. There's a marketplace for that on the internet. Um, and people can purchase those. And so like you can actually own 
this particular, like if Kaiser has an infographic, let's say, and you think it's just the coolest thing you've ever seen and you want to own it and say that it's yours, if it was an NFT, you could go buy it and then it would be yours. And of course, like you'd, you'd say, well, I could just, you know, someone else, I, I'll see it on Kaiser's social, I'll just copy and paste it or I'll just save image as. And like people can do that. But that's also the same thing as like there's an original, um, what's a, I don't know any art, Chloe. So what's a very well-known fancy art, piece of artwork? So the first big NFT was what, Beeple? Do you remember that? It's been a minute now. Um, but he'd been creating digital art for a while and then um, entered the NFT space with kind of this like collage of every... I don't know if it was everything he'd ever done, but certainly like a lot of them um, all sort of stuck together in a single NFT and like broke all kinds of records for how much it went for. So he might be a good example. Right. But I mean, like what's a, for instance, like a painting, an old painting, what is oh. it? What would be so, yeah. Example? Like if you wanted like a Vermeer or, you know, uh, I don't know the classics. Okay. So like something that's like, I don't know, Van Gogh is an artist or uh, like the Mona Lisa, let's say. Like, so obviously there's a lot of reprints of that and you could get it for very, probably very cheap of like a duplicate. But to have the absolute original would be very expensive. So that's a kind of the same concept with an NFT in terms of like, if we were talking about like a Kaiser infographic, like, well, why would I want to buy it? Well, some people just might want to buy it. So then they say that they own it. But other people would still have copies of it they just and would be able to use it and post it. They just wouldn't be the actual owner. And there's a lot of other ways NFTs could be used, but that would be my social media tip of the day is that uh, just research it. It's interesting. It's probably going to be um, some part of our society in the future. Um, and it's just, it's definitely, it kind of goes along the lines of social media. And I think it's, it's gonna it kind of works together with social media a little bit because it's digital space so check that out um slowly but surely we'll try to give some more information on that on our podcast and through our social content because it's something that we've been uh, starting to think quite a bit about and and how we can enter that space as well so Kazercast episode 15 15 is my favorite number because it's my racing number. But overall, this was a pretty downer episode, and we didn't talk about racing at all. But um, if you tune into episode 16, that one is going to be about racing. Um, uh, we're going to have Tad Pospisil on, and I think Chloe's going to be on vacation. So this can be me and Tad. So we'll be uh, geeking out real hard about dirt late model racing. So that should be a really fun one. I'm looking forward to it. Um, that will be a lot more upbeat. Um, but, but what we talked about today, I think was important. Um, it's what we're experiencing right now. Um, we're in the thick of it. We're grinding it out just like everybody else is. Um, usually on our social media, it's pretty upbeat. We're usually trying to put a positive spin on everything. We're trying to be problem solvers and show you all the things that you can do to succeed and, um, overcome all of the issues that you got going on. But, in reality, um, you know, life is not an Instagram feed. Uh, so, you know, we're grinding out just like everybody else is. So hopefully um, you can commiserate um, 
with us this week and understand that like we feel your pain and we're just grinding through it too so uh tune in next week for something more upbeat hopefully you like today i like these when me and chloe just just do it from time to time and we don't have a guest um if you do have any ideas for guests let us know and if you're even if you're just like a general public person or somebody out there that listens to our podcast um and we don't even know who you are but you like us and you want to be on randomly i feel like um sometime i would like to do an episode where we have a few random people on that have questions or something and we'll kind of splice that all together that could be fun coming up in like the far you know maybe like next year or something so we have time to plan um but if you're interested in actually being on and you think Kazercast is cool and you want to be featured as a guest message us or comment on any of our posts um and we'll hit you up and, and we'll figure something out but otherwise this was Kazercast episode 15 check back with us next week Is everything working good for you? You need anything? Anything broke? Anything leaking? Just make sure we stay on track with the yellows and everything will be fine. Little things lead to big things. When you stay late tonight, we need to get this job finished up. Overall, I think everybody's doing a great job. Keep up the good work getting hot out so make sure you're drinking plenty of water i know this job's been difficult and everybody's getting frustrated but if we can't do it nobody else can that's the reason why the job's here because nobody else could get it figured out just keep working at it don't get frustrated we'll keep collecting data taking good notes and we'll get it figured out does anybody else have anything